And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Look, I got to tell you something. I've got my last political book coming out, and I believe it will be my last political book for many reasons, because there's nothing more to be said. And I need you to think about this very carefully, especially those of you who have bought my previous bestsellers. A Savage Republic Inside the Plot to Destroy America. You're going to want to buy this book, not simply because it will be a collector's item, but because you will use it to show your friends and neighbors the actual plot that is destroying America. Now, I predicted the chaos that is Biden's legacy. I am trying to tell you that the destruction might be able to be stopped, and I emphasize might be able to be stopped. I am the author of Stop Mass Hysteria, A Savage Life, and Our Fight for America in Addition to Trump's War. However, A Savage Republic is my most urgent and important work. After just a few short years of the Biden gang, I can lay out an irrefutable case for how our nation has been undermined by adversaries from without, by anarchists from within, by an incompetent, deceitful president, and politicians on both sides of the aisle with contempt for the Constitution and the law, and a complicit liberal media. I make an ironclad case for the dangers we face from the Biden administration and the so-called progressive movement. I also explain to you what the conservative movement must do to regain control of our government, our country, and our national soul. I cover it all. I cover it all. I cover all threatening our American way of life, from cancel culture, out-of-control immigration, business-destroying lockdowns, minority crime gone crazy, the silencing of free speech, the threats to our freedoms of religion, and much, much more. A Savage Republic, Inside the Plot to Destroy America, lays out the threats we face, prepare you for what's next, and offer solutions to save our republic. Please wake up and fight back before it is too late. You can buy it right now on Amazon or on bondsandnoble.com. A Savage Republic, Inside the Plot to Destroy America by Michael Savage. Thank you for listening. Share it with five others. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Can you be happy in a sad world? Or what is happiness? It's a question, I think, that has plagued mankind or mankind has asked from the beginning of time, going back to the first cave painting where a bored cave woman or cave man tried to make themselves happier and give their life meaning by leaving a mark of their existence on the wall of the cave. Comedians have said weird things about it. Woody Allen and Annie Hall said life is divided up into two categories, the horrible and the miserable. Horrible would be like terminal cases, blind, crippled. I don't know how they get through life. It's amazing. And the miserable is everyone else. It's funny. It's cynical. But unfortunately for some people, it's true, right? Johnny Carson, the old uh, nighttime comedian, said, I know a man who gave up smoking, drinking sex and rich food. He was healthy right up to the day he killed himself. Another comedian had a young man said, what's the use of happiness? I can't buy you money. Then there's the sarcastic. Frank Sinatra, a man doesn't know what happiness is until he's married. By then it's too late. In other words, bashing women. But uh, philosophers have taken this problem on 
uh, going back to the ancients. Every one of us listening to the show is trying to be happy by listening to the show. You're trying to get a little pleasure out of your life by getting a laugh or a little meaning, things like that, right? That's what man does is we seek meaning, happiness, joy, whether it be the Super Bowl or attacking Donald Trump or defending Donald Trump. Seems the Democrat Party gets their happiness by attacking America while saying they're trying to save America. It seems the Republican Party gets their pleasure by doing nothing, by sitting there and sucking their thumbs. And we the people are stuck here in the middle. Happiness. What is happiness? How do we deal with happiness? Well, we all know that seeking happiness can lead to disaster. The media manipulates us into thinking that if we buy this or have sex with that, we'll be happy. And maybe we will momentarily, but we know it doesn't last. That's where consumerism comes in. Buy, 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 buy. That's where all the junk comes from. We all know this. Once we grow up, we reduce our expectations to a certain extent for a number of reasons because we don't need all these things unless there's something wrong with us and we think that by buying ourselves into happiness we're going to be happy i don't know anyone who has never never have where does all this rampant drug use originate the inability to be happy so how am i sitting here talking about this going to make you happy how because to me my happiness consists of using my brain always looking into things more deeply is happiness possible in this world i get my happiness here and there i get my knocks here and there but you got to pick yourself up and start all over again whether it be a, a disease or a personal tragedy financial loss what are you going to do about it you're going to live with it the whole world understands the fundamentals of human happiness and it's good to talk about it it's wonderful and that we have the leisure to do it in our lovely great country, this great country of ours. But there are people who are starving right now somewhere on this earth, I guess. There are children who are suffering from cancer in the back wards of hospitals. So some people understand that and they get their pleasure or happiness in helping those in need, helping animals in need. And those are the good people. Let's not be cynical about everything because Without the good people, there'd be no world at all. Without those who protected nature and or the environment, if you want to call it that, we'd be living in an earth that was paved over. So the do-gooders have a place in the world, a very important place. However, when the do-gooders start to tell us how to live our lives, that's when we rebel. None of us like to be told what to do and how to live. We're not infants. We hate to be preached at. That is why today... On this podcast, I will avoid trying to preach to you. I may quote those who preach without becoming preachy. So let the games begin. For those of you who've joined the Savage Nation exclusive club, which costs less than a bar drink a month, it's a special treat. I read from my novel, Abuse of Power, which was a best-selling novel at the time, my Jack Hatfield thriller series. And here's a small sample of what those on the premium paid podcast received. Jack lived and worked on a 59-foot Grand Banks yacht in the Sausalito Marina where, as if reflecting the mood of the region, the wind and tides were making some pretty ugly chop. 
Still, he managed to snag a few hours sleep around dawn, then watched as local and national law enforcement across the country were put on high alert and did everything they could to create the impression of ensuring the public safety. The president made an Oval Office speech the following morning, reminding the country of his commitment to keeping the citizens of the United States secure and to raise his mortally wounded poll numbers, while politicos from both sides of the aisle clogged the cable news networks and talk radio with enough hot air to float a horseshoe. That bug jacked the most. Despite the magnitude of what had happened, this is after a bombing, okay? Despite the magnitude of what had happened and the devastating scope of what had actually been avoided, the news coverage had no real depth to it, no dimension, no insight. Nothing's really changed, has it? Hmm. Well, let's see. And then there's another character I introduce here on page 31 called Tony Antonori. Oh, okay, he's based on a friend of mine. So let me read to you this one. This is a nice, another yellow tab here. Page 31, Abuse of Power. I'm Michael Savage reading from my novel from 2011, Abuse of Power. Guess you didn't know I wrote novels. You wouldn't know it if you read the newspapers. What would you know? I guess you'd know that blacks are oppressed, Hispanics are coming here to work, uh, and every white man is a Nazi. Jack had known Tony Antonori for a little over a year. But the moment he'd met the guy, they'd felt an immediate kinship, and that was the kind of compliment he didn't hand out often. A former Green Beret paratrooper, Tony had done three tours in Vietnam, had cross-trained as both a medic and a rifleman, and was still active in the National Guard, teaching combat medicine to young recruits headed to Afghanistan. He was 69 and still teaching field medicine to the young recruits. Maybe that was part of what kept him young. Hang the shame to know-it-all, out-of-shape kids less than half his age. The other part was staying in shape. Tony was solidly built, more muscle and fat, but at first glance, you'd never know that he was career military. He looked like a fugitive from a Fellini movie. His thick head of shoe-polished black movie star hair framing a tanned, creased, bearded face and wise but playful eyes. He kept his lanky six-foot-four-inch frame in shape with a brisk morning flurry of push-ups, jumping jacks, and crunches every other day. Nothing high impact, just enough to get his heart rate up and help keep his cholesterol down. He dressed younger, too, casual, mostly turtlenecks and corduroys, and he dyed his white hair black, his one concession to vanity. If he squinted, he could still find and sometimes talk to the 20-year-old who always wanted to be where he ended up. If you'd like to join, it's simple. Just click the link on michaelsavage.com. That's how you join the premium club. It's that simple. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well, Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, yeah, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time. iCancelTimeshare.com. Thank you very much. iCancelTimeshare.com. 
I want to begin with some corny jokes. Some of them you never heard. I never heard any of these. I laughed in a Chinese restaurant. In fact, they're so good that the Chinese guy who owns the restaurant, I read one to him, which I'm going to read to you now, and he laughed hysterically. It goes like this. A man goes to see the rabbi. Rabbi, something terrible is happening. I have to talk to you about it. Rabbi asked, what's wrong? The man replied, my wife is going to poison me. Rabbi, very surprised by this, says, how can that be? The man then pleads, I'm telling you, I'm certain she's going to poison me. What should I do, Rabbi? The rabbi then offers, I'll tell you what, let me talk to her. I'll see what I can find out, and I'll let you know. A week later, the rabbi calls the man and says, I spoke to your wife on the phone for three hours. You want my advice? The man said, yes. And the rabbi said, take the poison. Rim shot. Okay. It was funny. The Chinese owner laughed hysterically. So you better laugh. Here's another one. We're just lightening it up today. John was on his deathbed and gasped pitifully. Give me one last request, dear, he said. Of course, John, his wife said softly. Six months after I die, I want you to marry Bob. But I thought you hated Bob, she said. With his last breath, John said, I do. (laughs) A man goes to a shrink and says, Doctor, my wife is unfaithful to me. Every evening she goes to Larry's bar and picks up men. In fact, she sleeps with anybody who asks her. I'm going crazy. What do you think I should do? Relax, says the doctor. Take a deep breath and calm down. Now, tell me, exactly where is Larry's bar? <laughs> I think these came from the Catskill Mountains. These, these are funny. I mean, in a, in a, they're very misogynistic, I have to admit. But you know what? If you're a mean-faced, clipped-haired man-hater, just go away and leave us alone. Let us have a good laugh tonight, because we can do without you. Three friends from the local congregation were asked, when you're in your casket and friends and congregation members are mourning over you, what would you like them to say? Artie said, I would like them to say I was a wonderful husband, a fine spiritual leader, and a great family man. Eugene commented, I would like them to say I was a wonderful teacher and servant of God who made a huge difference in people's lives. Al said, I'd like them to say, look, he's moving. (laughs) Women and cats will do as they please, and men and dogs should relax and get used to the idea. Some of them are not funny. Here's one for all of you. Here, for all you hardcore MAGA people, the reason politicians try so hard to get reelected is that they would hate to have to make a living under the laws they have passed. Bang. (laughs) Because they had no reservations at a busy restaurant, my elderly neighbor and his wife were told there would be a 45-minute wait for a table. Young man, we're both 90 years old, the husband said. We may not have 45 minutes. They were seated immediately. (laughs) I don't know who writes this stuff. Who writes this stuff? Uh, I was in the six-item express lane at the store, quietly fuming. Completely ignoring the sign, the woman ahead of me had slipped into the checkout line, pushing a cart piled high with groceries. Imagine my delight when the cashier beckoned the woman to come forward, looked into the cart, and asked sweetly, So, which six items would you like to buy? Wouldn't it be great if that happened more often? Yeah, right. Not today. Uh, I think that's it. There's one more, but I'm not going to read it. I think that's enough for you today. What was your favorite? I think my favorite is a man goes to the rabbi and says, yes, take the poison. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So let me read from the jacket at this time of the enemy within. 
I pray to God that we will one day return America to our glorious roots of freedom, faith, and family. Yes, this book is about the America that once was and the America that could be again. If you have the will to stand and fight against the enemy within, and then the publisher writes on the jacket, Savage's powerful unmatched mix of razor-sharp wit and explosive socio-political commentary has made him into a cultural phenomenon, becoming not only one of America's most popular radio talk show hosts, but also a best-selling author. And in this, his follow-up to the Savage Nation, Savage takes up where he left off, beating back the tentacles of today's ever-expanding liberalism, which even now threatens to creep in, corrupt, and ultimately destroy our most cherished institutions. The words ring very true today. So they go on on the, on the book jacket. In The Enemy Within, you'll find out why Savage says our schools are teaching perversion, not patriotism. Oh, check that. Our courts are ruled by red diaper dopa babies. Check that. Unborn babies are slaughtered and their body parts sold. Check that. Illegal aliens are being courted by politicians. Check that. The liberal media undermines both police and military. Check that. The public display of the Ten Commandments is a defining moment in history. Check that. He may be brash, he may be brazen, but he's absolutely right on target. So open up for another dose of the savage truth. And then we turn to the back copy and see if there's anything in there that's worth your hearing on this podcast. And there is. America's bravest, brashest voice is back, as ferocious and cutting as ever. Savage says, where has six decades of radical mad dog liberalism brought us, Savage asks, in this electrifying new book. I'll tell you where America's teetering on the cliffs of insanity. Written with the fire, the conviction, and the clear vision of a modern-day prophet, Savage returns with a vengeance in this lightning rod of a book, speaking for all Americans who are fed up and ticked off at the corrosive influence of today's psycho-liberals, the Democrats, as he calls them. They're speeding down the pathway of good intentions. Their mantra, celebrate perversity, embrace ultra-tolerance, pay rape a nation's so-called reparations, support affirmative racism, and provide government subsidies for every illegal who sneaks across the border. In their haste to push failed socialist ideals, the libs have placed us on a crash course of total destruction, unquote. That's from this book. I'll finish up now. And then they finish up with this on the book jacket. Even while the heated controversy of his New York Times bestseller, The Savage Nation, still simmers, Michael Savage raises his weapons of, mach of matchless wit and moxie again, this time aiming his sights on the liberal assault on our most cherished institutions and taking a stand for our schools, our faith, our police and armed forces, and most important, our families. It isn't always pretty. You might even at times become uncomfortable. But as you read on, you'll find these pages always contain the savage truth. That is how to fight the enemy within. Filled with riotous rage and blistering humor, this book inspires as it inflames, encouraging Americans to reclaim our country, our government, our national integrity. And that's on the book jacket of my best-selling book, The Enemy Within. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. I open up the New York Post, the tabloid, and there's an interesting article how Robert Maxwell rose from poverty and corrupted his daughter, Ghislaine. You may remember her, Ghislaine Maxwell. 
and I didn't know anything about her. She was the enabler to Jeffrey Epstein. Apparently, she was the procurer of young girls for him. But I read that she was her father, Robert Maxwell's favorite, and followed in his crooked footsteps after his mysterious 1992 death, according to the headlines. Well, I want to read the book, but I didn't know who Robert Maxwell was. I knew he was a very wealthy publisher who died under suspicious circumstances, having fallen off his yacht somewhere in the Canary Islands under very suspicious circumstances. But I didn't know who Robert was. He was a self-made millionaire publisher, and Baby Ghislaine was the ninth child born to Robert and, and his wife, Betty. Who is he, though? He was born in a, in a shack in an unknown area of Czechoslovakia, and he made up his mind when he was young, after he served in the uh, British military, we, I'd like to know more about what he did in the military because it looks like he, he saw some great action in World War II. He made up his mind to have a large family. He had nine children to recreate the family of his birth after Adolf Hitler's forces slaughtered his children, the children of his birth, his, his brothers and sisters. All of them were killed by Hitler. His parents were killed by Hitler, and his grandfather was thrown in the ovens at Auschwitz. I would say that that motivated him. So then at age 38... Maxwell is a rich man. He's living in a 53-room mansion in Oxford, England, 1,400 miles away from his own childhood in a two-room shack with no floors but soil, earth. Then tragedy strikes. Three days after Ghislaine is born, her eldest brother, 15-year-old Michael, is crushed in a car accident that leaves him in comatose for the next six years. And that's what started the downfall of the family. So I'm not going to talk about Robert Maxwell's rise and death and Ghislaine. I think that that's an interesting and tragic story unto itself that people will look into to on their own. How a man rose from a desperately impoverished poor Jewish family in a village in Ukraine and became what he became when he goes to England, he adopts a Scottish name, Maxwell, when his name in in this village was Hosh, H-O-C-H, okay? So he adopts a new name, Maxwell, gets into the British Army, even though he wasn't a citizen, he enlisted, saw action in France and Germany, and left his family behind, who were all wiped out in the Holocaust. And so this created an open wound in him. He became fluent in Russian, English, French, very brilliant man, So the British Intelligence Service gives him a job running a propaganda operation in post-war Berlin. And he launches his publishing empire by buying up a huge catalog of German scientific research with the help of MI6, Britain's Foreign Intelligence Agency. And he becomes very, very wealthy with this publishing empire, which the MI6 wanted to help put out disinformation to Soviet contacts and pick up data on new technology. That's what spies did. And he establishes a modern scientific publishing company called Pergamon. Very respectful at the time. But he starts to do things that were very shady. He borrows in the name of one of his businesses to make another appear more profitable. He strips assets out of the company, something that's done all the time now by a lot of the hedge fund scum. And we go on from there into the story of this man trying to achieve happiness. 
and he winds up floating off his yacht, named after his daughter, Lady Ghislaine, under suspicious circumstances. Was he killed because he was a spy? Was he killed because he screwed someone in business? Did he just fall off the ship drunk? Now, remember, when he was young, he was a good-looking, thin guy. I don't know if you know what Robert Maxwell looked like when he was older, but he looked like a really, really portulent, you know, Nero-like, right? So I start thinking about what are the seven cardinal sins, the seven deadly sins? Because this is tied into what is happiness in my mind. The seven deadly sins, according to Christian tradition, are, are you ready for this? Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. In other words, everything that American media and social media promotes are the seven deadly sins. Everything that the vermin in the media push down your throats every day, everything that make you miserable is pushed by social media and the advertising industry. So you see these lowlifes in high places pushing it. Images of them on airplanes they don't own. Images of them. Why do I have to see another, another skank in a bikini splashing in the surf in Mexico? How many times can I see that trash? How many times can I look at white trash splashing in the surf in Malibu? I, I get angry thinking about what the tabloids do to people pushing this on people like that's going to bring happiness when it's fake to begin with so envy gluttony greed or avarice by the way sloth wrath envy and pride i think all of us combine some of these in some ways in our daily lives at some point we have to fight against them don't we don't we have to fight every day against being gluttonous or lustful or greedy or laying in bed in the morning slothful being angry, wrathful, being envious of someone, or having too much pride. Of course we do. That's the human condition. So we look at these lust, a passion for especially sexual desires. Don't we have to control these things? No, not according to the social media, not according to the tabloids like the New York Post. Every day they show another girl in a skimpy bikini or another douche in a, in, with his abs showing, some moron who winds up throwing himself out of a building when he can't make a nickel. Another with perfect abs that throws himself off a building in New York City or Los Angeles when he realizes he's a zero. Bible speaks about lust in 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Wouldn't that be beautiful if we were taught that today? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Self-control, control your passions. Wouldn't that be nice? We're not, though. We're taught the opposite. We're taught to indulge all of this lustful feeling. Then we move on to gluttony and excessive and ongoing eating of food or drink. Look at the ads on television for the poisonous dreck, garbage, food, implanting in our minds the desire to eat garbage, right? And then selling you pills to lose weight or a machine to take the weight off. What about temperance? Where does that come from? Where's, where's the temperance in our life? The desire to be healthy, making you fit to serve God and others. Are you kidding, Michael? Fit to serve God and others? Are you kidding? Next cardinal sin, greed. An excessive pursuit of material goods. Well, what does the Bible say about that? I don't want to bore you with it. But what cures greed? 
Well, for one, not reading the tabloids. Two, laughing and, if you want, mocking those they, they show us as happy when we know they're miserable junk, junkies. The desire to help others, putting that above storing up treasure for yourself, may cure greed. What about sloth and excessive laziness and the failure to act and utilize one's talents, right? <laughs> what cures sloth? How about diligence or intense zeal, okay, to place the interest of others or society above a life of ease and relaxation? That would cure sloth. I would like to stay in bed most mornings, and then I realize it's going to make me sick. I get out of bed, so you could say I'm doing it for ego, and then I think I have a job to do. People say to me, why are you still working, for example? You're an older guy. You made enough money to retire a long time ago. Why do you work? Why don't you just lay in bed? Why? I don't even have an answer to the question. Wrath. I have a weakness for wrath. It's a strong anger and hatred towards another person, right? The Bible teaches us in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I've had that in my own life. And everyone that I've wanted to hurt, everyone without exception has been hurt by God or fate or time. I've never seen anything like it. People who have tried to hurt me have wound up hurt themselves, not because of me. I'm not that egotistical, but I've seen it over and over again. Wrath, watch out for that one. Envy, envy, oh, is that promoted by the tabloids? Every ad in every way tries to induce envy. Every one of them. What is the cure for envy? Kindness. Every religion teaches us this. Kindness will cure envy by putting the desire to help others or helping even a pet above the need to supersede other people. That's such a Christian concept. You understand that? Pride. Oh, my God. The media is all pride. Another idiotic actor, another idiotic actress cavorting in the surf off Malibu with another idiot with abs. Why do they promote that? Because it sells stuff. The influences on social media are nothing. They're empty skirts, all of them. So we know what pride is. It's an excessive view of oneself without regard for others. It's also an excessive view of oneself without having achieved anything. They have no humility. They think they're great just because they think they're great. So what cures that humility? It removes boastfulness. It removes one's ego. And believe me, time will do that to all of us. Getting older will do that to all of us. Just getting older, if you live long enough, eventually your ego comes to understand that no matter who you are or what you do, you're going to age. And it mellows you out. So again, I know this is very preachy, which is not what I intended to do here. I wanted to talk about happiness and sadness, and I'm going to do that. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Let's go back to the Constitution. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Very clever, those founding uh, fathers. The pursuit of happiness. I, I've often thought about this since I'm a teenager. They never promised you happiness. They said you have the right to pursue happiness, right? Pursue happiness. Okay, well, that means it's a lifetime pursuit. 
So is it permanent? Do you know anyone who's ever had permanent happiness? Is it possible? How many times have I told you on the radio show over the years that the day you stop struggling and trying to achieve permanent happiness is the day you might have a chance at some contentment? Because that's what I learned in my life. So I didn't expect this response from this one little tweet. I woke up one morning. So I go back to the um, tweet. The fundamental myth of contemporary life. Here's what I wrote. The fundamental myth of contemporary life is that we can be eternally happy. Leads people to despair and irrational behavior. Life is a struggle from birth to death except the pain. That was the mood I was in, and I still believe it. I always have. So some of the people responded were very, very intelligent, which is unusual for Twitter. A great writer who understood, propounded, and lived this truth was Dostoevsky, someone wrote. I'll soon reread the Brothers Karamazov that was sent by Brian Gessinger. Lewisman wrote, said, one of my favorite things you ever said on the radio was, quote, we're put on this planet to suffer. And the day we admit it, we suffer less. <laughs> oh, I must have been in some mood. <laughs> God. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, okay. See, over the years, I've always been thinking about it. Now, this is a very Catholic view, is that we're born to suffer. I was not born or raised as a Catholic, and I'm not a Catholic. I'm a long-suffering human being. Not in the sense of being crippled, but I've been suffering with consciousness. I'm not one of those happy-go-lucky types right and so other people wrote other stuff you know you know no expectations means no disappointments my psychology professor at ccny taught us that exact lesson some 40 plus years ago a proven truism and big help with reality throughout my life says tom kelly and i answered him i said now they teach that happiness can be found by hating america which i'm going to diverge here for a moment in america today a lot of the happiness consists of hating someone so the, the ultra-progressives hate America. They hate white people. The racists hate white people. That's their happiness, is to vent their hate, right? That's now substituted for happiness. And on the extreme right, hating communists, which they should do, by the way. Communism has destroyed hundreds of millions of people worldwide. So we go on, and then you think about the ads, the television ads in particular, Social media, morons on social media, the so-called, uh, what, enablers, what do they call them? I don't know what they call them. I call them enablers, the fakers on social media that give the impression that everyone is happy all of the time and they live nonstop lives of bliss, right? Fake rides on private jets, yachts, all stupid, stupid people. And yet, this is what social media pushes down the throats of, a, of the world over and over and over. We're being exploited from birth to death by the advertising industry. And most of us don't even know we're being exploited and that we don't know why we're miserable. Okay. So, okay. So, people understood this. And another one wrote, there is no struggle where there's no struggle, there's no progress. Agree with Frederick Douglass. And another one from biology, the struggle for survival is a moving force of evolution. Another one said this is very much like Buddhist teaching. Another one said people want instant gratification without putting in the hard work. Okay, so that's that. So then I started thinking, does anyone really want to hear a podcast about happiness? I'm sipping my coffee right now. And boy, does that feel good. 
I remember reading about happiness in when I was 18 years old and really struggling, the sufferings of young Werther. And uh, I discovered Lin Yutang, which I'll, I tell you one day I'm going to have to quote him. I'm not going to do it now. It'll diverge me into a two-hour podcast. The Importance of Happiness by Lin Yutang I discovered when I was 18, 19 years old. It kind of saved my mind from total despair in my teenage angst. Because he wrote that happiness does not consist in the flight of fancy of poets or philosophers. Happiness consists of the simple things in life, such as getting your hair cut every two weeks and watching your neighbor fall off the roof. I thought that was very funny. So I don't have a secret to your happiness. I don't have any secrets to your misery. But I have access to a lot of thoughts Look, I got to tell you something. I've got my last political book coming out, and I believe it will be my last political book for many reasons, because there's nothing more to be said. And I need you to think about this very carefully, especially those of you who have bought my previous bestsellers. A Savage Republic Inside the Plot to Destroy America. You're going to want to buy this book, not simply because it will be a collector's item, but because you will use it to show your friends and neighbors the actual plot that is destroying America. Now, I predicted the chaos that is Biden's legacy. I am trying to tell you that the destruction might be able to be stopped, and I emphasize might be able to be stopped. I am the author of Stop Mass Hysteria, A Savage Life, and Our Fight for America in addition to Trump's war. However, A Savage Republic is my most urgent and important work. After just a few short years of the Biden gang, I can lay out an irrefutable case for how our nation has been undermined by adversaries from without, by anarchists from within, by an incompetent, deceitful president, and politicians on both sides of the aisle with contempt for the Constitution and the law, and a complicit liberal media. I make an ironclad case for the dangers we face from the Biden administration and the so-called progressive movement. I also explain to you what the conservative movement must do to regain control of our government, our country, and our national soul. I cover it all. I cover it all. I cover all threatening our American way of life, from cancel culture, out-of-control immigration, business-destroying lockdowns, minority crime gone crazy, the silencing of free speech, the threats to our freedoms of religion, and much, much more. A Savage Republic, Inside the Plot to Destroy America, lays out the threats we face, prepare you for what's next, and offer solutions to save our republic. Please wake up and fight back before it is too late. You can buy it right now on Amazon or on bondsandnoble.com. A Savage Republic, Inside the Plot to Destroy America, by Michael Savage. Thank you for listening. Share it with five others. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Now we're going to go on to a real treat for you, which is Michael reading from his original handwritten manuscript called Teddy and the Bears by Michael Kindly, written July 21st, 2013, somewhere in California. And it's written in beautiful cursive. They don't teach cursive anymore. As I said, they've gone from teaching cursive to teaching curses. Since Dr. Seuss has been declared persona non grata 
in the psychopathic America of today run by leftist scum. We are now moving into a new world that nobody could have predicted a few short years ago. So I decided for this reason to read you a children's story while we can still read children's stories written by white males like myself. A few years back, I published my favorite book, one of my favorite books called Teddy and Me. And although it's pictures of Teddy and me, great pictures, by the way, but in this book, getting back to the main point, Teddy and me, there's a children's story buried within. I did it as a little treat for those of you who actually read books. And it is called Kindly Dogs and Kindly Bears on page uh, 57. Now, I haven't read this in many years, so it's going to be an experiment for me to see if it's permitted. I haven't yet asked the Twitter police or the Facebook police or the fascists in the universities or the publishing industry who have locked everyone out who they disapprove of because they want to live in a fascist dictatorship if this bedtime story is permissible. Now, I wrote it and I said, here's a bedtime story I wrote and read to Ted some rainy nights when the thunder scares him. But unfortunately, as I opened the book on page 59, I notice a photograph of me and Teddy in bed. And I notice that there's a loaded shotgun in the bed. I, I don't know if that's allowed uh, in, in, a, in a book, but there I am reading the newspaper with Teddy and there's a shotgun. So that may mean the book now has to be burned by the left-wing fascists who are ruining the country. But so I figured I would do this for you today and read this while it can still be read and maybe it will get out onto Periscope, maybe it won't, maybe it'll make it to YouTube, maybe the Nazi fascists will ban it, who knows. And the reason I'm reading it to you is not only because Dr. Seuss was banned by the vermin of the earth, but I was going through my old manuscripts and I found the handwritten story that I wrote when I wrote it, Teddy and the Bears by Michael Kindly. See, here's the handwritten written manuscript. And one day somebody may want this. It was written July 21, 2013 in Tiburon, California. And I, I found the handwritten manuscript. And as a writer who's written since I'm 16 years old, handwritten manuscripts mean a lot to me. So here's the handwritten manuscript, which means a lot to me. And if you want to get your children out right now, this is a children's story before they burn the books. Can you believe that the left is so psychotic and sick that they would do a thing like this? Wow, I'll have more to say about that another time. But right now, all I want to do is read to the children uh, Teddy and the Bears by Michael Kindly. I think it's page 57 in this book. Kindly Dogs and Kindly Bears. Remember, it's buried within the book. Many of you didn't even see the story because it was about me and a dog. May I read it to you now? You got your children around you? I promise you, I think it's... I think it's politically okay. I haven't consulted the vermin in the media or the scum in the universities or the vermin in the publishing business as to whether I can read it. But I'm going to read it to you now. Here's the original manuscript again, and here's the printed version of it here. I don't know if there's any difference. I don't know which one I want to read from. Would I feel better reading the manuscript? Will the police come to my home and grab the manuscript and burn it? Should we ask someone at the University of California at Berkeley if I'm allowed to read it? In the forest there lived some bears, but they were a lost tribe of little bears. 
very little bears. They hid from sight and no one had ever seen them. In the village, there were hunting dogs, big hunting dogs who hunted big bears. They were called poodles. Everyone thought they were cute because they smiled as poodles do. But they were bred to hunt, not to smile. In this village, there was a kindly old man who loved both dogs and bears. He cried every time the hunters came home with a bear. So he decided to help both bears and dogs. He found the smallest of the poodles and the smallest of the bears. Then he secretly married the little poodle to another little poodle, and they had seven small baby poodles. In the forest, he found an abandoned baby bear who was left behind after his mama bear was taken by the hunters. He took the baby bear home and introduced her to the small baby poodles. They all played together in Mr. Kindly's cottage. Then one day, the old man thought, what's going to happen to them when I'm gone? Hmm, who will take care of them? So Mr. Kindly decided he would keep choosing from the smallest of the bears and the smallest of, their, of the dogs and help them have babies. End of chapter one. See end of chapter one? That's called cursive writings. You psychotic losers in the universities who can't write your own name. You never should have been admitted to the universities. You're fit for a doghouse to clean the dog crap that's left on the bottom of a doghouse. Years later, when Mr. Kindly was gone and his small cottage was abandoned in the deep forest, a group of children on a school outing stumbled on the abandoned building. They slowly tiptoed in. As they looked around, they found torn and yellowed scraps of pictures showing the kindly old man surrounded by little dogs and little bears, all cozy together around the warm fire inside near the hearth. The children's teacher wondered where all those cute furry animals came from. And where did they go? Where were they? And chapter three. Deep in the forest, there was a huge, huge tree whose trunk was wider than an elephant. It was over 200 years old. Inside this tree was a little door carved near the foot of the trunk. And this door led to a cave which spread out forever and a mile. And only God in heaven could see where this endless cave led. In chapter four, somewhere beyond this tree, there is a world where tiny bears and tiny poodles sit together, sipping on honeyed leaves, leaves not yet discovered, which give all the nutrition needed for kindly bears and kindly dogs to live forever in a day. You can find this little story in Teddy and Me. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. 
How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.